Hi, I'm James Ellis from Enduro Nutrition Health and Fitness. Welcome to the I Am Elevated podcast. Now, the keen-eyed and eared amongst you will have already noted that we've changed the name of the pod. I decided to do that now while we're still in our infancy because we seem to be talking more and more about wider lifestyle medicine than simply the benefits of good food. So everything we discuss from now on will be things that can take your life, hopefully to new levels. A really good case in point is today's episode. Now, the great French author and philosopher Albert Camus wrote, nobody realizes that some people expense tremendous energy merely to be normal. That's probably one of the best descriptions of mental health issues I've ever come across. And it's particularly pertinent given mental health issues are an ever-growing issue for our society, a fact highlighted by the recent World Mental Health Day. In today's episode, my guest is fantastic Jane Hickey. She's the author of the recent Amazon bestseller, Good Foods for Anxiety. In the book, Jane takes people to a simple plan to help them reduce their anxiety through both nutrition and lifestyle interventions. Without further ado, let's get her on. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be in touch again. Yeah, good. So tell me a little bit, for people who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into nutrition? How did you uh, come to be interested in anxiety? And what led to writing the book? I started out um, my adult life as a teacher, which I loved. I really, really enjoyed that for a number of years until the opportunity came up for me to retrain as a nutritional therapist. So I grabbed that opportunity and I haven't looked back. I feel my life has improved massively and I am now qualified as a nutritional therapist. This year, like everybody else, I found myself on the 23rd of March suddenly plunged into a world that was a little bit different from what I'd been used to and sitting at home for a little while, just wanting to pull the duvet over my head and wondering what on earth was going on. I realized that I had the most amazing opportunity because I was at home with hours on my hands uh, to do anything that I really wanted to do that that I could do at home. And I wanted to to study something, to look into something. So it didn't really take me very long to realize what it was I wanted to look into. A long-term interest of mine is mental health, which is a huge topic. And that's where I began looking at the whole of mental health because it really was impacting even at that stage on a lot of people. After a while, it became clear to me that the area was so huge, I needed to focus a bit and focused on anxiety because that is meaningful for me. When I did a little bit of soul searching, I realized that anxiety has been an issue in my life that I've somewhat forgotten about because my life is very different now, partly from having been um, a student uh, in nutritional therapy. I've made massive changes to my life and I realise that there are issues that no longer exist in my life. So, so that's how I came to be doing what I was doing. Just, just rowing back a bit, your interest in nutrition, because you've been a teacher for, for so long. I, for instance, had a, a bit of an epiphany. I lost my father. I realized that he had a bad diet. I realized that I was following suit and I decided to change tack. Did you have that kind of a change when it came to how you thought about nutrition or how you got interested in it? I think my experience is quite different uh, in some ways. So I grew up traveling around the world in environments where we had access to lovely uh, fresh produce avocado trees in Nairobi and then we moved from there to Helsinki so it was the blueberries by the lakes and I spent a lot of time out there gathering picking um, fruits with a mother who was passionate about good food as she saw it 
possibly a little bit too passionate because I grew up with raw cauliflower as a treat and uh, <laughs> never, never questioned that until I began to make my own choices in life. And I think at that stage, I probably made some wrong choices. So I suppose the regret I have was that but my mother never convinced us that we could actually enjoy it as well. It was always the food that was good for us. But the message that it was the food that was actually really delicious and that we can enjoy it, uh, that somehow got lost. So I came back to that later on after a few years of making maybe some wrong choices or now I don't like to use the word wrong choices, making choices that weren't the most supportive. And as a parent, I think I began to think more about the food that I was giving my children. So that was really important. And the opportunity to go back to those early years when I was thinking about the berries beside the side of the lake was just fantastic for me. And it strengthened, I think, the, the background that I had in eating uh, food, which is supportive for health. Are you now going around sticking raw cauliflower in people's mouths and telling them it's a good, uh, it's a good treat to have? <laughs> <laughs> something like that but uh, maybe spicing it up a bit making it a little bit more tasty I suppose there aren't many kids who get that kind of upbringing from from their parents whereby fresh fruit and vegetables are very very important did you feel as though you lost out on things or was it an epiphany where you discovered sugar and wanted sweets and crisps and pop and everything like like other kids do I think as a young adult uh, when you suddenly you've got the freedom to make your own choices. I experimented. So I wouldn't say I completely lost the idea that uh, food is really, can be really good for you, but I did experiment. I possibly had a few years when I made choices that weren't brilliant, uh, but it was always in the back, back of my mind that, um, that we should eat food that's good for us. So yeah, I did discover, I suppose it was alcohol really, uh, alcohol, mm. sugar, um, and had a few years when um, a little bit more freedom in what I was eating. Let's talk a little bit about the about the book then. So when you when you decided to delve into mental health in more detail and to write the book, one of the things that strikes me is that you know we use anxiety a lot in common parlance when we're talking about feeling stressed or things like that. But what would your definition of it be? What exactly is anxiety? Anxiety means a lot of different things. So the the experience is massively varied. And I think there probably will come a time when we have more definitions. So you can have a diagnosis at the moment. There are a few conditions which are medical diagnoses. But anxiety also exists at a much lower level uh, in people's lives. And for me, I, looking back, doing a little bit of soul searching, I realized that um, my own experience of anxiety when I was pregnant had gone beyond the, the normal um, experience of anxiety because anxiety itself is not a bad thing mm. um, we need it in life it helps us to focus when we've got something to do so it, in itself it's not a bad thing it's when it just takes over which it certainly did for me uh, in my first pregnancy I was m rubbing my hands with soap excessively obsessively uh, till they were raw and red uh, I was worrying about bacteria which is crazy to me now um, mm. understanding the microbiome but it had, it had gone it had taken over so it's varied and I think a key aspect as well is that we think of it as a mental health condition 
but actually a lot of the symptoms of anxiety are physical manifestations. So that heart, heart, heart which is thumping, you know, sweating, headaches, dizziness, shortness of breath, and in severe cases of panic attacks, um, you know, chest pain. So I think a key message is for anyone who is realizing that anxiety is having a massive impact on their life. It is definitely to seek health, help um, and a diagnosis if that's what's needed. I found myself feeling that I was a bit abnormal uh, with some of the worries that I was having. I was actually scared of lettuce at one point. And I felt ashamed of it. I wouldn't have admitted it easily to anybody. So I kept it to myself without realizing that it's not abnormal. It does happen to people. It's not something to be ashamed of, uh, but it is something that you can change. Yeah. I suppose the thing is that from a definition point of view, it changes, doesn't it, depending on who you're talking to and how, how that manifests with different people. But as you said, some anxiety is natural. It's part of the fight or flight response. And uh, we need that to help us survive in certain situations. So when is it that it actually flips and becomes an issue then? And is there anything that we can define that we, we can say to ourselves, actually, this anxiety is not normal anymore. It's getting too much. When anxiety is having an impact on your daily life so that you cannot function in a normal way, that, that is a clear uh, point to recognise that it has taken over, where you, you, you're not functioning in any kind of real life. So there are people who are finding themselves not able to go to work, not able to face situations, social situations, so you obviously had all these, this anxiety and stress yourself. How did you actually deal with it at the time, given that then there wasn't a book called Good Foods for Anxiety written by yourself? When I experienced um, problems with doing exams at that stage, I, I dealt with it by walking away from the situation. So I made a fairly drastic change in my training uh, because I just couldn't face any more exams. And I literally walked away from exams. So... I was lucky in that it did work out for me, but that could have been a life-limiting choice. It, it could have stopped my career in its tracks if I hadn't been able to find um, a course which allowed me to complete it without exams. So at that time, I wouldn't say I dealt with it very well because I avoided the experience. But later on uh, in pregnancy, by the time I was uh, of my second pregnancy, I thought I couldn't repeat uh, the anxiety of the first pregnancy. So I opted for yoga classes at that stage. And by that time, my diet had improved. The experience of being a parent had uh, restarted, I suppose, my passion for good food in my life. So I think there were two things that made a difference. The fact that I really had addressed what I was eating uh, and also the experience of yoga classes, pregnancy yoga classes really helped me to overcome the anxiety. So the book's called Good Foods for Anxiety and the subtitle is Five of the Best Foods for Anxiety. But you talk a lot more about conditions that can lead to it and the conditions around it and how physically anxiety manifests itself. And you know, colloquially use a number of phrases about things about how the gut feels and things like butterflies in the tummy and my tummy's doing somersaults and knots in the stomach and that kind of thing. And as nutrition therapists, we talk a lot about the gut-brain axis, don't we? That the gut and the brain are intrinsically linked. And I wonder if you could just explain for listeners a little bit more about how that actually works from a physical perspective 
I think some of the phrases that I used in the book, things like butterflies in your tummy or, or just a gut feeling about something is a clear recognition that there is this connection uh, between our gut and our brain. And we're learning so much all the time, which is one of the really fascinating things about studying nutrition and the science that goes with it, is we're learning about the vagus nerve. So our vagus nerve is, is the nerve that has such a crucial role in sending messages back and forward from the gut to the brain. So when something is wrong in our gut, it's going to in, impact on our brain. And likewise, when something's not quite right in the brain, it is going to impact on the gut. Uh, vagus nerve is really important. Another area that we're discovering, which I do find uh, quite interesting from my own cautions about bacteria we are discovering so much about our own microbiome mm. and the power that that has and on we do not know everything about the microbiome for sure but that's another area where those bacteria that live inside us um, the microbes in there they are supporting our health and that includes our mental health as well how did you actually outline the five foods that are best for anxiety then what was it that drove you to those was it their composition was it the micronutrients that are in there was it specific micronutrients that you were looking at when we say five foods it's really important to realize that i'm not it's not a narrow group of five foods that they're five food groups and i came upon these through doing the research you know what actually was making a difference in people's lives and thinking as well about the kind of diet that we have in, in modern life, where some of the nutrients may be out of balance a little bit, we might not be getting enough of certain things, and some things might actually be missing, as well as the things which are being displaced by nutrients, uh, foods that are not helpful. So there are a lot of routes that I took to decide which five groups I wanted to look at, and thinking as well about supporting our health by getting down to those root causes. So we live in a fast-paced world where our health gets damaged and we want to fix it when it's broken. Mm -hmm. But going back and thinking about supporting our health, preventing things happening, and looking at food as part of self-care. So there are quite a lot of reasons behind my thinking in the particular foods that I chose. Obviously, you want people to, 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 buy, to buy the book, so let's not give too much away, but I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of an outline. The subtitle of the book is Five of the Best Foods for Anxiety. I wonder if you could just walk people through what those five foods are. The food groups are protein, uh, omega-3 uh, essential fatty acids, vegetables and fruits, fermented foods and herbs and spices. In the book, I explain various systems in the body which help to manage anxiety. Uh, and each of these food groups features in those systems. So we want to manage inflammation. We want to manage our blood sugar balance. We want to support the production of uh, hormones and neurotransmitters. Uh, and each of these food groups has a role to play in supporting one or more of those systems. So for example, fermented foods are fantastic for supporting our microbiome, for strengthening our microbiome by promoting the, the growth of the beneficial bacteria. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the systems that these foods work on. What we need to be doing when we're thinking about our mental health, we really do need to be supporting our own body's ability 
to make these hormones, these neurotransmitters that are important for our, for our mental health, for keeping us calm and keeping us happy and, and able to control our emotions in a manageable sort of way. Another issue that is very, very important is, is keeping our uh, blood sugar balanced because that's something that happens to a lot of people with the typical snacking kind of diet. So blood sugar balance is very, very important. If I could just cut in there, when it comes to blood sugar balance, one of the things that, as you know, my background was a personal trainer before I got into nutrition. And we used to always tell people that snacking was a, was a good thing, you know, to, to keep your metabolism ticking over and, you know, have three meals a day and then in between have snacks. But you actually advocate not snacking, don't you, to help with blood sugar levels? Yeah, I think there, there, might, there may be some people who do need to snack. There are certain conditions where somebody might need to snack. But in general, we've got into a, a way of life that is, exists around snacking. And some people are perpetually dipping into something. And that's not helpful for a, a blood sugar balance particularly depending on what we're snacking on. So, the, you know, the nice chocolate brownie um, that's available on the tray is going to cause a spike in blood sugar. So mm. the blood sugar is going to go up and as a consequence, it will then come down. And we don't want these spikes. Uh, both high blood sugar is not helpful for anxiety and low blood sugar is not helpful for anxiety either. So we really do need to be aiming at a a middle um, place yeah. and keeping it stable. So I guess the message from that, the take home for people then is snacking might not necessarily be too bad. It's often what you're snacking on. It's when we, when we're snacking on things like sweet treats or crisps or uh, things high in sugar, it's that kind of thing that can be damaging, isn't it? Or can cause a greater issue rather than snacking per se itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are two issues. One, people do need to understand that they don't need to be eating all day long, that we can quite happily survive with three meals a day so it's not essential to be snacking and I do think that that's a message that uh, is out there in the um, food industry because there's so much availability of the kind of snack foods that are not helpful so I think people really do need to realize that we don't need to be eating all day long and also what we eat as you say is mm -hmm. is very very important that makes a huge difference so that's why I promote protein. Uh, you know, the brownie is not very likely to be high in protein, depending on how it's been made. Protein helps to keep that blood sugar stable. And it also provides us with the raw materials that we need for our uh, hormones and neurotransmitters. Having good levels of protein then is, is an essential keystone of, of, of your method, isn't it, in the book? It is. And a lot of people might think, well, I get some protein, but it's understanding how much protein you need. Uh, it's not enough to have, you know, a couple of eggs once a day and think that's your protein for the day. It's understanding that you need to be having protein at every meal. Uh, and if you're having snacks, then they should have a little bit of protein in them as well. So it's understanding how much protein and the kinds of protein, because I think the kind the diets that are becoming very popular now, vegetarian, vegan diets, sometimes if you don't plan that carefully, they can be lacking in the protein that you need. So if you are on a, a vegetarian, particularly a vegan diet, you really need to be going for a variety of protein to be sure that you get all the amino acids uh, that are contained within protein that you need.
And aside from from foods, you discuss another another a number of other tools and techniques in the book as well that can help with anxiety. So it's more than just uh, here are five food groups and you can a few recipes that you can create from them. You talk about things like mindful approaches to eating, for instance. How do you how do you find that that helps with it with anxiety? Although the book is called. Uh good foods for anxiety, it's really important that people are aware that food on its own is not going to do it. It's not a grab this, eat it and everything will be fine. It has to be in the context of a lifestyle that is going to support you to benefit from those nutrients and also to support anxiety levels. So a mindful approach is one which leads you to realize the consequences of some of the foods that are not helpful and some of the foods that are helpful. So a mindful approach towards eating is a very important basis uh, for understanding how food can be used in, as self-care in yeah. your life. So how should somebody eat mindfully if, you know, if they want to follow this and help reduce anxiety? First of all, y- you can you can find out more about particular mindful approaches on the internet. There, there is, I think I mentioned one of the sites in the book where you can go and explore it, but at a very basic level, it's recognizing that everything that you put into your body is going to have an effect on your body. And there are no right or wrong foods, but if you want those foods to be supported, you need to be choosing the ones which are going to do that so looking at food as balance eating to support your health i've got a um i had a client recently who uh, was suffering from some de- dreadful tummy troubles it went on for for quite a while and uh, we put things almost right or 80 percent right with some just some very s- simple mindful techniques and the main one was actually you know this guy worked quite hectically he was always eating on the hoof and things like that and the key, one of the key things that we did was actually just said, right, sit down and make sure you're taking 20 minutes over a meal and uh, chewing things properly and making sure that you're eating slowly. And his, his gut issues and, uh, and as a result, his anxiety sort of like reduced massively just through, through a simple intervention like that. Absolutely. And that helps to engage your vagus nerve. So you're supporting that vagus nerve, which in turn supports your parasymp- parasympathetic nervous system. So, yes, absolutely. It's the simple things. And as you're saying, sometimes a change like taking out too much sugar in your diet can have a major impact on improving mental health, physical health. So it is sometimes the simple changes. When it comes to sugar, I mean, sugar is one of my bete noirs. I, I absolutely try and get everybody to, to reduce simple sugar from the diet. So I, I don't mind like, natural whole whole food sugars that come through through fruits and maybe some things that are slightly processed like honey and stuff like that, but generally getting processed sugar out, a, a key tenant of things that I go through with people. Because one of the things that tends to happen with sugar is it develops a lot of cravings, doesn't it? So people tend to crave it. How can we actually sort of like mediate those cravings and help people get away from sugar? Okay, I think the starting point is to understand that by feeding your body sugar, you can increase those cravings. So it's recognizing that and and a mindful approach can help you, first of all, to recognize it. Stop feeding your body sugar and it will get easier, but that's not always easy for people to do. There are support techniques like emotional freedom technique for um, addressing cravings. So there's not one answer for everybody some people might find that simply going 
cold turkey, if you like, and cutting the sugar out, it becomes easier. But the cravings are real. They're not imaginary. Uh, so they do need to be overcome. And emotional freedom technique is one way that you can mm. overcome cravings. What does that actually involve then, EFT? It was developed last century, although its, its history goes back a lot longer. It really came to the fore in the States in the last century. And it's based on using acupressure points in the body. It's best learned from the therapist. But instead of using needles, which they use in acupuncture, it's just using tapping. And it's powerfully effective. So basically, instead of putting needles in yourself, a therapist is tapping you in certain points. And so it's less invasive than acupuncture would be, I guess, is it? Yeah. Generally, you would tap yourself. I think it's best to be shown how to do it, if it's possible, in a live um, consultation with a therapist. They show you how to use tapping. So you can use initially to reduce the cravings that you're having. But you can also use it when you find that you're experiencing cravings. You can go back to the techniques that you've been taught and use tapping to, to reduce cravings at the time. So is it almost like um, people do that thing, don't they, where they wear like an elastic band on their, on their wrist and every time they want to have a cigarette, they twang it to stop themselves from, from craving a cigarette. Is it a little bit like that, I guess? It, it is a little bit like that, yes. Yeah, what fascinated me when I was um, researching for the book was the amount of evidence to show how incredibly effective it is. So with things like post-traumatic stress disorder, um, tapping is very effective, but it's got a nice little use for just simple cravings. And it's non-invasive. It's very easy to do. You can learn techniques that you can do uh, in a social situation where nobody would even realize that that's what you were doing. Uh, One of the other things that you mentioned, which is a a, a favourite of mine, you talk a lot about breathing in the book for helping with anxiety. Have have you tried any of those techniques yourselves when it comes to your own personal experience? Yes. Breathing is such a simple technique, but it's understanding the, the powerful effect of breathing. So when you're fast breathing, that is associated with our fight or flight response, uh, which is associated with anxiety. So you can really turn that on its head um, by, by stimulating your uh, parasympathetic nervous system with slow breathing. Again, it's not enough to think that you know a couple of couple of slow breaths is going to do it. You have to you have to apply yourself fully and realize that that, that breathing slowly is helping to bring that that fight or flight response system under control and to turn it round. So yes, breathing is very powerful. Yeah. So I guess if you wanted to give people in a quick summary of like a protocol from all these things that we've discussed, I know that we've leapt to and forward a little bit in the conversation. So I guess mindful eating is a key one, isn't it? So chill out, make sure you're sitting down, uh, enjoying a meal properly, taking your time over eating would be number one. Then employing perhaps things like deep breathing to relax around both eating and, and life in general. And then the food types that we, we talked about, which are protein seems to be a key one for you, B vitamins, omega-3s, anything else yeah. that you, you and, put in there? Yeah. So anti-inflammatory foods, which are obviously omega-3s, but vegetables and fruits, aiming at 10 portions a day if we can do it. Five portions is, is advised as a minimum, but 10 portions is much better. So vegetables and fruits... 
fermented foods support your microbiome when we're talking about 10 portions just so people can get a better steer on that what constitutes a, a, a portion how can people kind of gauge what that would that would be without actually going into things like weighing stuff out and things often a fist size is a good indicator of a portion having said that if you're eating something like radishes you might not want a fist size portion so <laughs> definitely not <laughs> um it, it's a good guide Five portions should equate to about 400 grams, but again, it's not very practical. Who would want to be weighing out their portions in grams every day? But a fist size is a good one as a general rule, unless you're talking spring onions or radishes, and then you can have a few less. What, what's the next step for you then, Jane? Where, where do you go after this as both a therapist and an author? So I've got a few projects uh, in hand at the moment, but uh, the immediate one is to produce a workbook. So a practical guide to uh, take um, the reader through the steps to actually implement uh, the plan um, that's discussed in detail in the first book. And I'm looking at um, the effects of anxiety on young people uh, in particular areas as well. Mm. So students. So Jane, you've got a young family yourself. So I guess you're seeing this this anxiety in young people firsthand you've got children at university age don't you yes i have i've got um three young adults who've all been through university uh, in the recent years there's always been somebody doing exams in our house uh, and it's been really rewarding for me to watch them manage their anxiety very well particularly compared with my own experience when ultimately I just walked away from the exams because I couldn't bear any more. Uh, and I think my youngest son at the moment is demonstrating some very, very useful um, techniques for managing anxiety as he's preparing for his um, auditions at music college. I see him exercising regularly and I think that's incredibly helpful for him. So yeah, they know the things that I wish I'd known at the time. So we're coming to the end of our chat, but is there anything else you'd like to add? Just to say that the ex experience anxiety is not something to be ashamed of. It's not, um, you're not an abnormal person. It really is important to seek help. So I have seen anxiety in other family members where it became really overwhelming and they found it very difficult to seek help. But that would be my my key message is that if anxiety is having an impact on your life uh, there is help out there uh, it might be medication through a doctor but certainly do something and food is always going to help that okay so for, for people who want to find out more about your your ideas about your protocol about the five best foods for anxiety where can people pick up the book it's available on amazon if you live in essex there are one or two outlets uh, stocking the book but essentially it's available on amazon kindle and paperback right jane thanks ever so much for coming on and, and and speaking to me i think it's a fascinating subject and i think you know a lot of people do suffer from these days particularly with everything that's gone on over the last six months or so i think a lot of people have been suffering and, and i think a book like this is really important to to help people people get through so thanks ever so much jane thank you it's it's been really good uh, catching up with you today and i'm looking forward to life uh, letting us catch up in person maybe over the next year or so 
when uh, things start to happen again. Thanks once again then to Jane for coming on and speaking so passionately about both the book and her own personal experience of anxiety. I'm sure you'll agree it was an enlightening chat and I hope you enjoyed it and found it as useful as much as I did. Until next time, I've been James Ellis with the I Am Elevated podcast. Mm -hmm.